Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining us once again for the CIO Strategy Snapshot. Glad to have back with me Jason Dreho, the Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Jason, it's great to have you back here on the podcast. It's hard to believe, but here we are uh, just about a month into 2023 with the end of January right around the corner. So I think that's enough time, Jason, to take a reason reasonable inventory of how the year has progressed thus far. Being mindful as well, we do have a busy week ahead with the Fed FOMC meeting culminating on Wednesday. We also have the labor report for January coming up later in the week as well on Friday. So a lot to catch up on though. Jason, welcome back. Great to be with you as always. Thank you, Dennis. Great to be here. Happy Monday. It is amazing. It's already the 30th of January. Um, Time flies when the markets are having fun. To that point, Jason, I know we've talked about this many times, but 2022, of course, was a challenging period for investors, but we turned the page a bit. It has been a very strong start to 2023, uh, this across all asset classes. So, Jason, how would you summarize the performance we've seen thus far? Well, it's been a everything rally. So last year, almost every asset class was down. This year, pretty much everything is up. I mean, the one actual laggard is is commodities. The broad bid index are, are kind of flat to slightly down for the year. But other than that, it's a, it's a strong start to the year, almost a kind of reversal of the performance last year. So some of the biggest losers from 2022 are some of the biggest winners this year, uh, like just within the equity space. You know, you know, the tech sector was down quite a bit, consumer discretionary, consumer communication services. They're all the biggest performers this year. Uh, your non-profitable tech companies are up, you know, quite significantly. You know, kind of the FANG stocks are up uh, uh, quite a bit. Uh, so it's been a, a rally across the board. It's also been a fixed income rally because yields are lower. Uh, so longer duration fixed income have benefited quite well. But we've also seen you know, credit spreads tighten. So from you know, U.S. investment grade corporate credits, 3.5% roughly a year to date, high yield close to 4%. Uh, you know, so that's true kind of across a lot of fixed income classes. Uh, so it's a, a very positive story overall to start the year. I mean, in some ways, slightly, you know, almost too positive because you kind of wonder where do we go from here. It, it has been a... Uh, I'd say beta or kind of you know kind of pro-cyclical rally. So cyclical sectors have far outperformed the defensive sectors. Uh, you've seen uh, you know the you know just kind of a, a risk-on environment overall. Uh, and it's kind of related to the question is like you know where do we go from here given these significant moves? And just keep in mind that this is this calendar year, but a lot of the rally and performance began in the fourth quarter. So for example, you know with EM equities are up. You know, nine percent this year. But if you go back to last fall, the, the low point in, in, the, in the fourth quarter, the rally is over twenty percent, and that's true even for U.S. equities. The S and P is up like fourteen percent as of Friday's close from its lows last fall. So it's really been a pretty strong rally for the past two to three months. And this year, it's just been a strong story across the board. Jason, thank you for that summary. So let's dive into performance drivers a bit. And this ties actually into your recent blog, uh, that title, What's Going On? Tallying the Technicals. Within that blog, Jason, you do describe how technicals are a big factor in market performance. So what do you mean by that? Well, first, you know, just there is a fundamental story to this. You know, we've everything everyone would cite that the China reopening because of you know COVID, you know, moving on from COVID zero has helped. Better situation in Europe has helped. Even some of the data in the U.S. and inflation in the labor market has been resilient. That's helped. So those are all kind of positive fundamental catalysts. But that can't explain everything that's happening. You know, there's there's clearly sort of a technical story, you know, kind of going on, and you can break it down by a few different factors. One is that. Investors, in aggregate, on average, started the year, I think, you know, relatively modestly positioned. They weren't aggressively taking risk. 
They had sort of dialed back things after a difficult year, went into year-end, not wanting to have a lot of exposure. There's also kind of a consensus view that the first half of this year would be difficult. We would get that, you know, pullback in growth. Earnings revisions would have to come down. That wasn't being fully priced. Uh, the Fed and other central banks are still raising rates, at least in the first quarter, the first half of this year. But then by the second half of the year, a lot of that would start to reverse. That was the inflection points we kind of talked about in our year-ahead piece. The difficult first half, better second half, therefore investor positioning was light. Now what's happened is markets have moved higher. You're starting to kind of get investors pulled back of different types. There are sort of systematic investors, meaning they're, they rely on models that are triggered based on different factors and performance in the markets. Those are starting to trigger them to add different risk exposure. That's, that's been happening. There's a certain amount of short covering that's taken place. So some of the things that were like the non-profitable tech stocks, you know, they were you know, high short interest. Investors are now kind of covering those shorts. There's a bit of a short squeeze that further amplifies the moves higher. But in the hedge fund community, there's also signs of them kind of adding new kind of long positions, actually taking up you know, risk at least you know, a little bit. Um, and then there's other data points on you know, futures activity, options activity, all of which are kind of consistent with investors sort of taking a little bit more outright kind of exposure uh, and, kind of, and kind of re-risking their portfolios, at least at the margin. Um, second point is if you then turn to like kind of equities and on the retail side, ETF fund flows for U.S. equities are actually negative. So it kind of runs counter to everything I've said. They're positive if you go outside of the U.S. into Europe and to EM. But what's really kind of happening is that people are not buying ETFs. They're actually buying single stocks. So the activity to kind of start the year, especially after tax loss harvesting that would have taken place in the fourth quarter, you always get a decent amount of buying at the start of the year. This time, it's actually much more significant if, you know, in terms of individual stocks versus ETFs. There's actually elements in the market that look a little bit similar to what began in you know, early 2021 when you had the meme stock craze, when the bull market was still in full flight. Uh, and, and then there was a situation where people were just like wanted to take on positions. And you're starting to see some of that FOMO type of behavior in the retail space with individual stocks. A third factor is the, you know, the fund flows, especially into fixed income. A common theme across the street, Wall Street, this uh, going into the year was carry trades, meaning buying things that have higher income and yield was an attractive play in an environment where the macro environment looked like it was going to be challenging. You could finally get decent income across or decent yields across fixed income products without taking a lot of risk. In an environment where the upside for equity seemed kind of limited, people wanted to do the carry trade. If you look at fund flows, it's all kind of consistent with that. There's been over $100 billion have gone into money market funds. Another $50 billion have gone into fixed income funds, and about 40% of that is into investment grade and high-yield corporate bond funds. So definitely a lot of kind of getting income where they can. Uh, and so I think as a result, that's also helped kind of compress the spreads. It's helped actually the, the technicals in the marketplace because there's a lot of money that needs to be put to work. There's buyers out there. There's now supply being needed by like, you know, companies going to the market issuing you know, high-yield bonds, as an example. Anyway, they haven't in many months. So it's actually helping sort of the technical landscape in that market. And then another kind of related idea is there's been sort of a search or, or interest in getting duration in your portfolio, adding sort of longer-term maturity bonds of high quality. That wasn't a great trade last year. I mean, those are some of the worst performing asset classes is buying, like, say, 20-year-plus treasuries. But in an environment where investors are less worried about inflation and the Fed hiking much more, and they're more worried about kind of growth slowing, buying long duration with the idea that it could be rate cuts gives you some kind of portfolio you know, protection. Uh, and so there's definitely some interest in there, and that's also helping to keep kind of yields lower. And so all these things are kind of portfolio rebalancing some flows that have really amplified 
the moves in the market that, you know, in some way you could say the fundamentals are sort of still triggered, but these technical dynamics have really played a big part in explaining all of what's going on across different asset classes this year. So that covers technicals. The other side to this all, of course, being fundamental considerations. So if we look at fundamentals, just thinking over the next few days, as mentioned, we will, Jason, be hearing from the Fed. We will have some data releases. So what would you say is the latest on the fundamentals and what should investors be watching for over the next few days? Well, let's start with the Fed that meets on Tuesday and Wednesday this week. And at 2 p.m., we get the announcement from the FOMC that they're almost certainly going to raise rates 25 basis points, not more, not less. Um, there'll be some tweaks to the, the statement they released at that point in time. And then a, a lot of focus on the press conference for Fed Chair Jay Powell. That begins at 2.30. And what does he say? They're not clearly going to be specific in terms of how many more rate hikes. The market is expecting 25 this week, another 25 in mid-March, and then to be done with cuts beginning later this year, like the fourth quarter, and quite significant rate cuts in 2024 to the point where basically the Fed raises rates to around 5%, and then they cut 200 basis points by the end of next year. The Fed's projections are much more, uh, let's say, optimistic in terms of keeping rates elevated. Uh, and, and given how much the markets have moved thus far and how what they're pricing in for rates, there is definitely scope for Powell to be pretty hawkish to try and push back against the, the market narrative that they're going to be cutting rates that aggressively that soon, or that they could only do one more hike uh, and want to leave all options on the table. They might also be concerned with just how much markets are rallied, how much financial conditions have eased this year, but I think going back into the fourth quarter, uh, and whether that can undo some of the, the benefits of the hiking thus far to kind of slow the economy. So that's certainly you know, scope for catching the markets maybe a little bit off guard in terms of how hawkish you could be. Yeah, given they are close to the end of the cycle, of hiking cycle, you know, unlike, say, last June or even September, it may not have quite the market impact as it did before, but that's certainly something to kind of you know, keenly watch in terms of what kind of guidance they might give of how much further they're going to go. On the other sort of economic data front that we get this week, you know, we turn the calendar, as we discussed earlier, from January to February, which means we start getting January data to see in more real time how are things kind of playing out. It looks like some of the data would suggest the economy is slowing uh, the, to start the year based on various data points. Not so much the labor market, but manufacturing, production. We will get started on Wednesday, the ISM surveys. On Friday, that's the big one where we get the payrolls report for, for January. Do we see continued moderation of hiring? Do we continue to see moderation of wage growth? A really strong jobs report could actually be you know, one of those bad good news is bad news because it might mean, all right, the Fed has to do more. So the, you know, the, the data will kind of tell us the resilience of the labor market, which isn't necessarily that positive at this point in time, but also we'll start to get data to indicate are things slowing significantly. Um, if you look collectively, it would suggest that's the case, but there's also some data points that would suggest even in the housing market, maybe the bottom is getting near with the next quarter or two, uh, and things could start to kind of stabilize from there. So we may be, instead of kind of continuing to go slower, like dramatically down into the point of actually getting a recession, maybe the growth kind of you know, flatlines uh clearly below trend, but somewhere between like 0 and 1% what the Fed wants, and then starts to accelerate later this year. So the data we get this week is the first sort of indications, like as this happens, you know, where are we trending? Are we going to kind of be low but steady, or are we going to continue to get worse and worse and ultimately going into recession? 30 days in, strong start to the year, and this, Jason, driven by both technical as well as fundamental factors that you've outlined for us. If we turn back to the markets, what kind of guidance would you offer investors, our clients, in the way of asset allocation, given the market that we're in and given what might lie ahead near to medium term? Well, first, I think there is a bit of kind of FOMO that investors have seen like this big rally, thinking, well, maybe if we do get this soft landing, we're hearing more and more about that I need to get in. 
it is challenging when you've seen markets move so much to to like you know sit on the sidelines at the same time you know given the breakdown of how much this might be sort of fundamentally warranted versus technically driven i think you have to be kind of cautious that things props are, are overshooting on the upside in terms of performance which always means you're kind of vulnerable then to some sort of pullback later on uh, i'd be cautious on on things that have performed really well this year that are more technically driven or at least on a relative basis it feels like investors covering short positions or kind of chasing some performance as opposed to is there a real fundamental improvement on that so for example like in some of the tech sectors some of the growth stocks that have really bounced quite a bit this year without necessarily a lot of news changing the overall like it feels a little bit uh, uh, you know kind of overdone whereas where we have more confidence is that you know the global economy especially outside of the US you know looks like it's you know kind of all kind of accelerating in China's reopening and the growth acceleration from that could happen you know this month you know in February and March even earlier than people were anticipating just six weeks ago, and the situation in Europe is looking a little bit better. So that's why we still like to say emerging market equities as a way to kind of benefit from that whole story. They've done well, but not necessarily overshot based on some technical story. There's still probably more technical tailwind to go there. So be a little bit cautious in terms of the overall you know, you know, chasing this performance. We still think we're probably kind of range bound for equities with you know, 4,100 being sort of near the, the upper end of the range, dropping down to 37 on the low end. We've been bouncing around there for like now close to, to nine months. I think that's the dynamic that we continue to be in until we get really the kind of all clear in terms of a recession is going to be avoided, a deep earnings recession will be avoided, and the Fed is, is done hiking and, and is now the question is when do they start cutting. And I think that we're at least a couple of months away from, from that happening, if not a little bit later. So I would say selectively add cyclical exposure, uh, you know, that the markets have moved a lot. Uh, so you still want to be, you know, positioned for your up in quality, uh, a little more defensively oriented within fixed income. Yields across a lot of the fixed income landscape are down one full percentage point since the start of the year. So the attractive carry trade on January 1 is not looking quite as attractive on you know, January 30th. A lot of the risk premium were spreads are kind of pretty compressed. So given the macro environment hasn't necessarily improved that much and the valuations and the compensation you're getting for taking risk have actually come down, you probably want to be even more cautious today to add some exposure than you did before, except for areas where the fundamental story is sort of dominating the technical story. And emerging markets, for example, is, is one area that we feel comfortable with that call. Between the FOMC, the labor report, we will have a lot to catch up on on next week's CIO strategy snapshot. But this morning was very helpful to hear your thoughts on the markets, where we stand the month into 2023, the technical, the fundamental factors driving the performance, how investors should be interpreting this all, and of course, how they should consider an asset allocation at this time. So, Jason, thank you again, as always, for your insights, your guidance, and looking forward to picking back up with the conversation next week. You're welcome. Have a great week. Yeah, there's certainly going to be no shortage of things to discuss next week. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thank you again, Jason. And again, I do want to point our listeners, our clients to Jason's blog, which Jason has been covering on this morning's podcast. Again, what's going on? Tallying the technicals, which is available for you now up on UBS.com slash CIO. And again, we have been joined today by Jason Dreho, the head of asset allocation for the Americas with the UBS chief investment office. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only.
As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.